We were at Dave and Buster's and the boys and I were playing games and Brooke escaped so she could go do some shopping in the mall. And one of the games we came to that my youngest Dean wanted to play was Luigi's Mansion. So we got into Luigi's Mansion and the concept of Luigi's Mansion is you have a vacuum. And for those of you who are familiar with Mario and Luigi from 1980s Nintendo, it's that Luigi. Uh, you have a vacuum and you suck up ghosts uh, throughout the mansion. So it's as incredible as it sounds. Uh, but my son and I, we had a great time playing that game. And so I saw that he had that game available for his Switch system and we got it for him. And we had a lot of fun playing that game. So he asked me if I would watch him while he plays that game on the Switch, which sounded like a great idea. And it sounded like a great opportunity for us to spend some time together and he could have fun and I could cheer him on in some things until he started playing the game. And when we played the game together, I could kind of direct where we went. And now that he's the only one playing the game, it's completely out of my control. And it's a great microcosm for what parenting's all about because there are so many things that you want to tell him and there are so many mistakes that he's making along the way, obvious mistakes. You want to say, hey, dude, but sometimes you just have to let him fail until he hopefully learns his lesson or you as a parent get really annoyed. And then you're just like, no, would you please just go over here? But it's entirely out of my control and he's picked up on this so now he fails on purpose sometimes just to make me sit there and agonize and I'm telling him what to do and he just looks at me and smiles and he does something else and he's like what you don't want to spend time with me dad like I mean expert manipulator expert manipulator so I am just there and I am stuck watching subpar video game skills on full display which just annoy me and frustrate me to no end and it's entirely out of my control it's out of my control today we're going to talk about control and we're going to talk about control in relationships and we're going to talk about how love controls us and I know right, right now, for some of you, this idea could be a trigger. Because maybe you've been in an unhealthy relationship, or maybe you've seen an unhealthy relationship. Somebody close to you, somebody that you love and you care about. And so anytime you hear the concept of love, and you hear the concept of control, and those ideas go hand in hand, your mind goes to a place with no loving relationship should ever, should ever include. And that's just what you've seen. So this idea of love and control, it's gonna be, it's gonna be hard. There's gonna be a high hurdle for you to get past because of all the toxicity and all the baggage that you've seen on display. And especially for those of you who might find yourself there, either somebody who's, who's endured or overcome a controlling relationship or as somebody who's seen somebody else that you love and you care about in a controlling relationship, I'm just going to encourage you as best you can, as best you can try to clear that hurdle as high as it might be. Because what we're going to talk about today is actually a perfect relationship. And we're going to talk about how even in a perfect loving relationship, there are elements of control, but that's not a bad thing. It's ultimately to our benefit. And we're going to look at that in relation to our relationship with our Savior Jesus. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once you've installed it on your device, there's a feature within the Bible app 
called events. And there you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament, in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 14 here in just a minute. And if you're joining us via the stream, the verse will be available on the screens below as we continue our look at what the cost of our salvation was. And make no mistake about it, our salvation is given to us as God's free gift to us. It's all through the work of Jesus on our behalf that Jesus came and he died for our sins. He rose again three days later and scripture tells us that salvation is a gift. It's God's free gift to us if we would place our faith and trust in Jesus and accept what he's done on our behalf. And so we saw that while it's free, it was still incredibly costly. And how Jesus humbled himself in the incarnation. He humbled himself and he came to this world. He was full divinity and full humanity, but he humbled himself and he came and he lived a life like we lived. He experienced the things that we experienced. Imagine being God of the universe and coming and living a life like we experienced, not in wealth, not in all the fame and all the fortune and all of those things, but he lived a common, ordinary life. That's what Jesus chose. He humbled himself to come to this world. And last week we saw that the reason that he did all that was because he loves us and because God created everything, so God gets to make the rules. That's what happens when you create something. You get to make the rules. And God has a standard, and his standard is perfection. And not one of us measure up to that. Some of us are better people than other people. Some of us do more good than bad. Some of us do more bad than good. But it's not a, it's not a baseline we have to meet. It's not, a, it's, it's not that we can do enough. And if we do enough good in that category, it outweighs the bad that we do. If we do enough charity, if we have enough good thoughts. No, God's standard is one of perfection. It's pass-fail. And none of us measure up, but God came because he loves us anyways. And Jesus came so that even though we can't measure up to God's standard, we can still have a relationship with him through the work that Jesus has done for us. And that's what we looked at last week. And today we look at our response to that as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, where we read these words. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The love of Christ, it controls us. And again, we go back to this idea of control, and this idea that it's very countercultural. It's very, very much, we don't want anybody to control us. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We value freedom, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a, that's a bad cultural value, but it's very much embedded in our culture that we're in control and nobody can tell us what to do. And yet what we see here is a different dynamic. What we see here is the love of Christ, the love of Christ, it controls us. And notice where this starts. It starts with love. It starts with love. And I would argue that if you're struggling with this concept, and, and it's because anything that you've, you've experienced in your life or you've seen in your life that's been done under the guise of love, but that's done in a heavy-handed manner, that's done in a very controlling fashion, probably didn't 
fully originate out of love. It probably originated out of someone's insecurity. It probably originated out of a desire to control. It probably originated in an area that is completely foreign to this idea of love. And so again, we've got to do our best to divorce that. Because when we look to God, we're looking at the perfect standard. When we look to God, we're looking at the source of love. That there is no alternate agenda. God is the ultimate source of love. That God is defined as love. The love of Christ, it controls us. It controls us. Not in a toxic way, but in a way that it makes us want to it makes us want to do things because it has completely changed us. We've had an encounter with Jesus, and that has changed us. It's changed who we are at our core. It's changed everything about us, and that now controls us to be better people. It controls us to do better things, to make wiser decisions, to love other people. Because we have all been recipients, and we have all experienced this for ourselves. That The love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. And here's the reason that it controls us. That Jesus died for all. There is no greater example of love than that. There is no greater example of love than someone dying for someone else. And Jesus came and he served as that example for us. He laid down his life. But you can look throughout history and you can see some incredible acts of love. You can see some amazing acts of sacrifice. And some of the, some of the historical ones are captured in books and in movies. Their, their, their stories are told and they're celebrated. But there's one thing, there's one thing that sets apart what Jesus did in all those other, all those other examples. And that one thing is this. The implications of the work of Jesus extend beyond just one scenario or one situation. In the example of Jesus, when he died, when he laid down his life, when he was the sacrifice because the payment for sin is death, and he was that payment for us once and for all, he was that payment for everyone, universally. He was that payment once and for all. Christ's work is enough. And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in a situation where where you are trying to earn it. You're trying to earn your way to heaven. You're trying to earn God's favor in your life. You're trying to do all those things where you feel like there's, there's this column and you don't need to be reminded of all the ways you've failed. You don't need to be reminded of all the mistakes that you've made. They're there and they play on repeat over and over and over again. And you wish you could shake them. You wish you could erase them, but they're there and you're trying your best to do more and more good to pay for those mistakes. You're trying to impact more and more people to to just somehow make right all those regrets that you have in your life. I just want to encourage you. What you're actually doing is you're saying to yourself that God's work isn't sufficient for you, that God's work isn't enough, and that you have to add to it, and that you have to do more. And I just want to encourage you with this. There's nothing more you can do. You're holding yourself up to an impossible standard. And while you're chasing good things, you're beating yourself up in the process. And you're not experiencing the full joy that you could be experiencing if you just recognize you don't do those things to earn something. You do those things as a response to something that you've experienced. 
you're going to earn your way to heaven. Your way to heaven has already been earned through what Jesus did on your behalf. But because you're headed to heaven, you want to bring more heaven down to this world. And you want to experience the love of Jesus. And you want to share that hope with everybody that you can and everyone that you can encounter. And I just want to encourage you, stop trying to earn something you could never earn to begin with. And instead, just operate out of a response. And recognize that these are the things I do, not because I'm trying to earn something, but these are the things I do because I have experienced something. And it has changed me to my core. And in the best way possible, that love, it controls me. It controls me. That I don't have to try to figure out how to pay for all the past mistakes. I don't have to try to figure out how to pay for all my failures. Those have already been taken care of. My response, my job, my desire is to just go love people. My desire is to go bless people. My desire is to go serve people. Not as a way to earn anything, but as what I've already experienced. And Jesus died for all, verse 15 goes on to say, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That Jesus died for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. And his grace is available to anyone who would just accept it. They would just accept it. A couple months ago, we had a birthday party for the boys. We had cake because you have to have cake at the birthday party. So we, we ordered the cake and we cut the pieces of the cake. And then we put the pieces of the cake out. And, and then we saw... As all of these kids who were not at all mild-mannered as they were out bowling just moments before were now jammed like sardines in this little party room. And it was elbow to elbow and everybody was eating and, and they were eating pizza and then they're all kind of looking at the cake table and it's clear what they want, but nobody's making the move to take the cake. And it's there and it's available to them. All they had to do was go take it. All they had to do was go take the cake. And we finally went around and we offered them the cake. And as soon as we offered them the cake, they got up and they got the cake. And now you're thinking, well, maybe you should have been a better host, Brian, and brought the cake to them. I can't, I'm, not, I'm not disputing that. Maybe I should have been. But they saw it. And it was there. And it was there for the taking the entire time. They, they wanted it. It was there. It was there. God's grace is there for you. It's there. And the invitation has been extended your way. God went through great pains, great pains, not only to provide our salvation, but to make the message of hope abundantly clear. And the question that you have to answer is, do you want to accept it? Do you want to receive it? You can't buy it. You can't earn it because, again, the standard is perfection. But you just have to accept that you can't make it in and of yourself. But God still loves you anyway. So much so that Jesus came and he met that standard for you. And it's available to you. And he's offering it if you'll take it. Christ's death 
and his, his sacrifice for us and his resurrection, it changes our lives. It changes everything about us when we can experience that forgiveness, when we can experience that grace. It changes us to our core. And many of you have experienced that. You've experienced what it's like to no longer go through life trying to make up for all of the past mistakes, to go through life and to experience what it's like to authentically have experienced forgiveness from now on verse 16 goes on and it says therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer now you're probably scratching your head right now and being like what what in the world we know from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh he says we no longer judge people according to what everybody else judges people by we don't judge people based on how much money they have. We don't judge people on their job. We don't judge people on their social circles. We don't judge people on any of those things. That's generally the score. That's generally the scorecard that our world uses. The scorecard that our world uses is generally those things. It's wealth, it's prestige, it's it's fame, it's accomplishments. He says that that's no longer how we look at people. That's no longer how we judge people. No. And, and, and what he says is, Paul in his own life, he says, when I used to look at Jesus, that's how I judged Jesus. In the same way that, that many of us have, have judged other people. Because again, think of the time that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. He's saying, no, there, there was a group of us who looked at Jesus and we judged Jesus according to the way that we judged everybody else in life. That we judged Jesus according to his wealth. We judged Jesus according to his fame. We judged Jesus according to his, his family. We judged Jesus according to all of those things. He says, but no more. He says, no more. No, we regard him entirely differently now. We re, we, and, and not only do we regard Jesus entirely differently, we regard each other and everybody that we see in a different way. That no longer when we look at people do we see them based on the scorecard that we would previously use. We're no longer impressed by wealth. We're no longer impressed by fame. We're no longer impressed by prestige or, or family pedigree. We're no longer repulsed. We're no longer repulsed when we see somebody who has nothing. We're no longer repulsed when we, when we go past that person, that it, it seems like they have nothing going for them. No, we have a new way, a better way. And that's revealed to us in the next verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. They're brand new. All those mistakes and all those failures and all those regrets that plague the mind and that fill our category and that play on repeat, over and over and over in our head. Those used to define us. Those used to be true of who we were, but that is not who we are. We're brand new. That old 
way of life doesn't define me. All of the ways that I would find my significance, all the accomplishments that I would try to have so that I could rest at night and I could say, finally, I've arrived. I finally made it. I have finally done enough to secure my legacy. Those things don't matter anymore. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Which means all the bitterness and all the things that we've held on to and all the rage and all the things that used to define us no longer define us. All of our mistakes, that's our past. That isn't who we now are. It's who we were. And because of that, this is a call for those of us that have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus not to live our lives in the same way that we've always lived our lives. Not for us to, to claim the banner of Jesus and then to go out and do whatever we want and to leave just a, just a whole new page of mistakes. This doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. We're all flawed people. But what it does mean is, again, having experienced the love of Jesus, it compels us to live and act differently have a desire to serve people. And when we serve people, we no longer see them how we saw them previously. But what we see instead is the value that they have, the intrinsic value that they have as an individual. Regardless of, regardless of all the things that we would otherwise see on their scorecard. When we look at every single person, we see intrinsic value. We see a soul that is more valuable than we can fathom, who is loved and created and valued by God. This changes not only the way that we live our lives, but it changes how we see our life and how we see the lives of others. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the message of Jesus, that we have hope, because he came so that we could be reconciled to the God that we have sinned against, that we could be reconciled to the God that we rebelled against. This is the ministry of Jesus, that he came, that we could be reconciled. That God would look at us and he would see not all of our mistakes, he'd see not all of our sins, he'd see not all of our trespasses, but instead when he looks at us, he would see the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, if you've experienced that in your life, if you've experienced that hope of Jesus coming and forgiving you from all your sins, forgiving you of the mistakes that you've made, then I really want to caution and I really want to encourage you, stop looking at everybody else and counting all of their sins against them. Stop looking at everybody else and counting all their mistakes against them and recognize the forgiveness and the hope that you've seen and that you've experienced and the grace that God has poured out on your life. And make sure it's with gracious eyes that you look at other people. And you look at them in the same way that God has looked at you. Not as hopeless. Not as someone who's stuck and can never make it past. But as somebody who is immensely valuable. 
as somebody who's uniquely designed, as somebody who has purpose. God has created us all differently and made us all uniquely. So there are going to be some people that you gel with, and there's going to be other people that you're like, are you sure, God, you made this person? And yes, he did. And this doesn't mean that we have to bury our heads in the sand and pretend like we're all going to join hands and sing kumbaya and everybody's going to be everybody's best friend. Like there are going to be people that just annoy you to no end. And that's why I always encourage you keep the visits with your mother-in-law short. But the reality is there are going to be those people in your life. And those are the people the most that you have to look at and you have to see with the eyes of Jesus. In the same way that Jesus saw you. That he's aware of your imperfections. He's aware of your flaws and he's aware of your faults. He's aware of your sins. He's aware of your rebellions. And he still loves you. And he came to sacrifice and to set you free. And this is the message of reconciliation. And this is why, as long as I have the privilege of serving at Lakeside, we will be a church that has a heart and has a passion to take this message, to take the message of the hope of Jesus to everyone that we encounter. Not because we want something from people, but because we desperately want people to experience the hope of forgiveness. We want people to experience the life that you can only experience once you've experienced God's grace. We want people to live lives of freedom. We want them to understand that they are loved and they are valued by the God who created them and made them. Because if this is the work of Jesus, this, this work of reconciliation, it must also be the work of us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have an opportunity, we have an obligation as those of us who follow Jesus. Our opportunity and our obligation is to be ambassadors for Jesus. And the question is, how are we doing with that? Let me tell you what's going to be successful. For you as an ambassador to Jesus, to go and to grumble constantly to tell everybody everything you hate about society and hate about them, for you to complain constantly, for you to be bitter. No. We know that's absurd. We can spot that from a mile away when we clearly call it, and yet if we're not careful, those are the behaviors that can creep in our lives. Those are the things that can become hallmarks of our lives if we're not careful and if we don't guard our steps. We have an incredible opportunity. That opportunity is to proclaim the hope of Jesus. Does that mean that everybody that we encounter is going to say, hey, I want to follow Jesus? Not at all. But we don't stop. It's not our job to convince anybody. What we've been called to do is to take the message. 
So I just want to encourage you. The love of Christ should compel you to live lives of love. The love of Christ should compel you to be people of hope. The love of Christ should compel you to be people of peace. The love of Christ should compel you to serve one another. The love of Christ should compel you that when you see a need, you do something about that need. The love of Christ compels us to be the neighbors that people want, to be the friends that people want, to be the workforce that people want. The love of Christ compels us. This is our opportunity and it is our obligation. That we are ambassadors for Jesus. And we proclaim the hope of Jesus. We do that collectively. We must do it individually. That each of us individually has the opportunity to impact people with this message. Because there is, there is a desperate need for peace. There's a desperate need for hope. There's a desperate need for love. And it's on us. This is our opportunity, and it is our obligation. Because the love of Christ compels us. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That God put all of my mistakes, all of my shortcomings, all of my flaws, all of my faults, all of my failures on Jesus at the cross. And he did the same for you. So that in him, we could experience forgiveness. So that in him, we could experience grace. So that in Him, we didn't have to live a life that's defined by all of our mistakes. And there are going to be people that want to define you by those mistakes. But if, you've, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're no longer defined by all of those things. So my question is, how are you defining yourself? For some of you, I just know it's time to let go. Because you've got that list. And let's just be honest, it's long. It is. We're in church, we should be honest. It's a long list. You messed up a lot. I have two. But it's time you stop trying to fix it. you can't but it was never your responsibility to fix to begin with Jesus fixed that list for you he paid for your mistakes you can't so it's time you place your faith and your trust in him and it's time you accept what he's done for you. You experience what it's like to be the newness of the creation. And all that old stuff, it isn't you anymore. And because of what Jesus has done, 
It compels you to love others, to see them differently, to not have the same scorecard. Recognize that Jesus came to reconcile us. And there is no reconciliation unless there's broke, a broke, uh, broken relationship or break in the relationship. And there's no forgiveness unless there's been a fault. God knew you. He knew all of your mistakes before he made you. And he still chose to make you. And he still loves you. It's time you stop trying to earn that love. And instead, be controlled by it. And you go love. And you go serve. And you go take your opportunity and your obligation as an ambassador to change the world. Jesus, I pray that we would be people who stop trying to do enough, who stop trying to measure up, who stop trying to earn something that was never ours to earn to begin with. Pray for the person here and the people watching online right now, God. Just needs to experience your forgiveness once and for all. Stop this battle that's been going on in their heart and in their head. Trying to fix all the mistakes. And I pray in the quietness of this moment, in the quietness of their heart right now, God would be the time where they invite you in. Even now, they would just repeat this prayer, Jesus, come save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Raising again from the dead. I want to live for you. I want to stop trying to earn something I can't earn and to deserve something I don't deserve. Come save me. I want to experience your forgiveness and your love. God, I pray that those who've already made that decision see others in the way that you do. That the traditional scorecard that we have would be gone. Instead, God, we would see the love that people need. We would see the hope that people need. We would see the value that they have. Use us, God, for your glory. Help us impact this region with the hope of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.